I am Gregory Hallows, and you are listening to Preserve Halloween Podcast. I wanted to start off the podcast this week with a reading of an excerpt from the book Red Letter Days by Elizabeth Howe Seacrest. It's a book of holiday customs, and it's illustrated by Elsie McCorkle. This book came out originally in 1940, I believe, and it was reprinted and updated in 1965. But I, I want to read the preface and a little bit of the chapter on Halloween just to serve as an introduction into uh, what we're going to be talking about today. Um, here's the preface. Holidays have been observed by all races and classes since ancient times. Indeed, it is not hard to imagine the cavemen of a prehistoric age celebrating some particularly successful hunting or fishing expedition by proclaiming a holiday. The impulse to make a momentous occasion of the anniversary of an important event seems almost instinctive to civilized man. And from historic records, we know that anniversaries and red-letter days of all kinds have given us the holidays we celebrate today. Many of our American holidays are comparatively young, but even a nation as new as our own is rich in tradition. Thanksgiving inherited from the Pilgrim Fathers, Independence Day commemorating the birth of our country, Columbus Day, Constitution Day, Flag Day are all identified with our early history. Armistice Day and Pan American Day link us with other nations, while Christmas, Easter, and New Year's we share with mankind the world over. Days like St. Patrick's Day, St. Valentine's Day, May Day, and Halloween, though not legal holidays, have a definite place on our calendar because they have become so enriched by centuries of custom that their observance has never ceased. It is impossible to study the history of our holidays without being conscious of the history and growth of the peoples who observed them. In most parts of the world, certain days are observed which may have a significance to one country alone, holidays that have developed with the nation. In this book, it did not seem necessary to include any except those that were similar to our comparable with some holiday of our own. However, many of our holidays inherited from the old world are colored with ancient customs, reflecting the manners and customs of some civilization of the past. The ancient Romans, the Celts of Britain, the medieval English, or the peasants of Ireland, Scotland, and Wales, as well as our own colonial ancestors. When we observe these old holidays today, we are keeping alive in the present the traditions of the past, for they have a foothold so firmly rooted that modern ways cannot push them completely from the calendar. Let us hope that it will be a long, long time before these colorful customs vanish. Long may they thrive. And so that was the preface to this book on the holidays, and I want to read a very small excerpt from the chapter on Halloween because it leads right into um, the topic for this week's podcast. The custom of masquerading on Halloween probably came down to us from mummers in the English parades and geysers in Scotland who dressed in queer costumes and went about chanting rhymes. Today in Scotland, it is the children who are geysers. They dress up and go from house to house carrying their lanterns made from large scooped out turnips in which a candle glows. Anything for the geyser, they ask at each house, as American children ask, trick or treat. So that's a very um, wonderful book on holidays that uh, Miss Seacrest wrote. And I really enjoyed the preface because it kind of 
is the same sentiment we have about Halloween here. Uh, we want to make sure that these customs are continued and passed on so that generations well beyond our own will know uh, exactly what the history of Halloween is. And, you know, we con- we continue to find new things about it that were either uh, not as known or you know, not as celebrated. So it's it's always fun to do research. It's one of my favorite things to do for the podcast is to find out interesting tidbits and topics. And that leads me to one of my favorite things about Halloween and one of one of the things that I've always loved about the holiday. It's the costumes and one of the companies in particular that I unknowingly loved as a child is uh Ben Cooper Inc. So let's find out about the the wonderful brothers who brought us so much joy for almost 60 years as a company uh Ben Cooper and his brother Nat. All right, so Ben Cooper Inc was a privately held American corporation which manufactured Halloween costumes beginning in the late 30s um all the way up until it says late 80s in this um, Wikipedia article, but they were manufacturing uh, in the early 90s, as far as I know. Um, they were one of the three largest Halloween costume manufacturers in the United States from the 50s uh, mid- through the mid-80s. Things before and after were kind of, you know, a buildup and a really bad letdown. But uh, the company's uh, plastic masks and vinyl costumes were iconic symbols of uh, Halloween for America, and the company has been called the Halston of Halloween. If you don't know who Halston is, look that up. And also the High Priest of Halloween. What I wanted to research is how did a Jewish family uh, run by two brothers who came from a vaudeville background uh, become such a dominant and lasting name in the world of Halloween and Halloween costumes. Well, Ben Cooper, born on the east side of New York in 1906, he, his father was a restaurateur, and instead of following in his dad's footsteps, he studied accounting, and he also wanted to be become a songwriter. But in 1927, he founded a theatrical costume where he would work with... Uh, the Cotton Club in Harlem, which is a huge, huge get uh, for any business if to work with them. Uh, he designed costumes and sets for that uh, club. And also, uh, he worked with the Ziegfeld Follies. Um, but the problem was, in the 30s, because of the Great Depression, live theater became uh, much more rare. People just couldn't afford to go. And... Um, One of the quotes I read that was pretty funny was uh, Ben said, you know, why do we need to go all over town just to fix one costume when we can just uh, make them, you know, multiple mass produce, basically. So with uh, the live theater uh, dwindling down, Ben uh, established Ben Cooper Inc. in Brooklyn in 1937. And that same year, they also assumed control of A.S. Fishbach Inc., which I didn't know this until I read this article, that that's the reason why they were able to acquire the characters and costume rights to Walt Disney, uh, like Donald Duck, Snow White, Mickey Mouse. 
was because A.S. Fishbach already had the rights to do that. And so in 1937, Ben Cooper began selling Disney costumes under Fishbach's Spotlight brand. And then in 1942, not until 1942, the two companies finally merged together and they incorporated as Ben Cooper Inc. So officially, Ben Cooper Inc. became what it was known as in 1942. So one of the biggest questions I had was why didn't the company, why wasn't it called Cooper Costumes? Because I've always known it's Ben and his brother. So why didn't it start out as Cooper Costumes? Well, the reason for it, I read in an article by Ira, one of the grandsons of the Coopers. He said that, Actually, no, sorry, one of the sons of the Coopers. Uh, ben had a son, Bobby, before the war, World War II, so he wasn't, uh, he didn't have to go to war, he got a deferment. Uh, Nat had been a salesman uh, around the costume business, but he, because he was single, he volunteered for officer candidate school just because he uh, he knew he would be drafted into the infantry because he was single, and that's kind of how the draft worked. There was deferments for certain things, but single guys, you know, you were first on the list. So anyway, he decided to become an officer, and because he had a college degree from St. John's University, he he uh, volunteered for OCS, which is Officer Candidate School. And because of that, Ben started the company in his absence, uh, and then Nat joined on shortly afterwards, after he returned from the war uh, in Europe. So although Ben and Nat technically weren't together when the companies formed they were pretty much always together ben cooper i guess gets a lot of the accolades because of the company name but you know it was always the both of them so these two guys had a wonderful uh model for licensing um what they did was they would um guess basically predict what was going to be popular because you know with the costume making business, they had to make these costumes, you know, almost a year in advance of actual release. So they had to be way ahead of time. With their licensing model, which was highly in- innovative at the time, uh, the brothers cr- created a new era in Halloween costuming. And, you know, that led to a booming business. By the late 40s, Ben Cooper Inc. was one of the largest and most prominent costume manufacturers in the United States. And, you know, I, I mentioned it before, the, these guys were Jewish, and even with the rampant anti-Semitism in uh, the United States in post-World War II uh, climate, they uh, still dominated the market. Uh, they overcame the negativity uh, that sometimes was, you know, unfortunately put onto people uh, that were Jewish, basically by being market leaders and professionals you you couldn't deny the fact that they knew what they were doing so people continued to work with them and they also had a very good relationship with the kresge stores uh this was a discount chain that sold the costumes um i will post some ads i actually i already have some kresge ads uh for halloween showing the the costumes that they sold but kresge's was a store that was uh around from 1867 through 1966. So this company was around for a long time and the Coopers had a good relationship with them. And also because of their success in 
acquiring licenses that were, you know, popular. This basically allowed them to have a stronghold on the market. And in the 60s and 70s, Ben Cooper Inc., along with Collegeville and H. Halpern Company, which we know as Halco, that was the big three of Halloween costumes. Those are the three that, you know, most people know uh, or associate with, with Halloween and costuming. But thanks to the Cooper brothers and their constant innovation in manufacturing and design, and the fact that they always were one step ahead of the next trend, they basically uh, created a business model that catered to uh, retailers and consumers and allowed them to put out really high quality products that were affordable. And, you know, they became the leader. And they, at, at one point, they claimed that they controlled 80% of the uh, character costume segment of costuming, which is crazy. I mean, that's well over, uh, you know, three fourths of, of the entire market. And in business wise, that's insane. And, you know, we all know as, as Halloween, well, as a Halloween enthusiast, one of the, the greatest stories or gets for Ben Cooper Inc. was the Star Wars uh, uh, license. They acquired the uh, license for Star Wars before the movie was even out. And, you know, I don't know how these guys knew what was going to be popular. I mean, toy collectors know that when Star Wars first came out, the company that made the toys didn't even have a product when the uh, the movie came out. You basically were sending off for an empty box. And so for, for Ben Cooper Inc. to be able to predict the fact that Star Wars would become huge is insane to me. Um, and, you know, they also, there's one of those stories about the company where they kind of, made Spider-Man before uh, Marvel did. I don't know if that's ever been proven one way or the other, but they had a Spider-Man costume out before Spider-Man, the character, debuted for Marvel Comics. So, you know, these guys, to me, it's like a myth. It's like, how how are these stories true? But they are. That's the crazy part. Um, the problem in the 80s was, like all of uh, Halloween, uh, that's the time frame of the Tylenol scare. Uh, in 1982, seven people died after taking Tylenol that was uh, laced with poison. And because of that, parents nationwide refused to let their children celebrate Halloween because they were just terrified. Um, sales of costumes plummeted, and the Halloween industry as a whole did not recover for a long time. Um, so even though this happened... And the unfortunate, you know, it affected a lot of the Halloween industry back in the 80s. But despite this, 1984, Ben Cooper Inc. was still the largest supplier of Halloween costumes in the entire U.S. Um, but even with that success, Ben Cooper Inc. eventually would, um, I don't know if it's succumbed to their own success, because that sounds horrible, but... Um, in the late 80s, they they were forced to file for bankruptcy. And this could be due to a lot of factors. I mean, I don't know exactly what the reasoning behind it was. But in 1988, they had 
a lot of their normal licensing had left the company and went to Collegeville. Collegeville assumed a lot of the licenses that Ben Cooper Inc. uh, had at the time. They filed for Chapter 11 bankruptcy in March of 1988. And then to basically add fuel to the fire and that's you know the worst set of wording that you could use for this instance but just a year later well not even a year later it's a little less than a year later in January of 1989 their facility in Georgia burned to the ground and according to the company itself destroyed between 2 and 3 million dollars in inventory and you know filing bankruptcy and then having your business burned down i mean that is two of the worst things that can happen as a business owner. But even worse than that, uh, their insurance company canceled coverage for the company and they refused to pay any uh, for any damages because they said, one story I read, they said that the uh, warehouse in Georgia was not insured for manufacturing it was supposed to just be a warehouse but they were making costumes in it so the insurance policy did not cover uh for the manufacturing of of the costumes just for um for storage so basically it became a legal fight the bankruptcy court refused to consider the company's claims against the insurance company uh, which led to them appealing and despite all this ben cooper inc came out of their bankruptcy in the uh April of 1989 and they paid out they paid back all their creditors in full. So even though they were having issues with the the um insurance company, Ben Cooper did what was right, which from all accounts I've read, the company and the founders and everybody always tried to do the right thing. They paid back all, all their um debts and, you know, did things the right way. So this appeals process lasted uh, throughout the first few years of the 90s, and it ultimately resulted in the Second Circuit Court of Appeals ruling in the favor of the Coopers. But just days after this uh, ruling, the executives of Ben Cooper decided to announce they were moving the company from up north to Greensboro, North Carolina. And the reasoning for it was they wanted to be closer to southern textile factories that would allow them to um, stop getting the uh, vinyl costumes from Asia and start moving towards a more acceptable natural fabric fabric costuming uh, creation. They wanted to invest $6 million in this new building in uh, North Carolina, and they wanted to apply for uh, $600,000 in a community development grant so they could defray some of their costs and they wanted to provide jobs to low-income workers in the area. Despite their good intentions, in October of 1991, Ben Cooper filed for Chapter 11 bankruptcy yet again. And the reason this time was they uh, had relocation expenses and we were once again in a recession. And also they weren't able to get bank loans. So, you know, nothing was going in their favor. And this led to... Ben Cooper Inc. being sold to Ruby's Costume Company in 1992. So after almost 60 years, the Ben Cooper Inc. era had ended, or at least, you know, for the time. And I say that because when the pa- within the past few years, Ira Cooper, who was the son of co-founder Nat Cooper, was preparing to bring back the 
Cooper name. He wanted to write a book about the company. Uh, he was, you know, starting up new lines of merchandise, and he had a bunch of other plans. But unfortunately, uh, Ira passed away in 2018, and. I read a wonderful art- article in the Retro Fan Magazine, uh, issue number two. It's the Halloween issue. And uh, the editor of the magazine, Michael Yuri, he discussed with Ira uh, his plans that he had at the time, which included an illustrated history of the family business. Uh, he wanted to... Uh, they talked about the company's origins. Uh, he... He discussed the infamous warning uh, written on the Superman costumes they produced because an actual kid jumped off a building because he thought putting on the costume could make him fly. So they had to put a warning on the costume itself that said, you know, only Superman can fly. And they also discussed the truth behind uh, the the fan myth that Ben Cooper uh, invented Spider-Man. This, you know, the story I mentioned earlier, Ben Cooper, uh, whether or not they actually invented Spider-Man before Stan Lee, uh, Steve Ditko, and the the folks at Marvel. Um, he kind of dispels that, but it's still a really good story. Uh, I suggest if you have a chance to pick up the Retro Fan issue number two. It's uh, published by Two Moros. Uh, I'll put a link in the uh, description of the podcast where you can pick that up. I think there's still uh, some copies of that available. I actually have one, and it's wonderful. The whole, the whole issue is great. Uh, it's a really good magazine. Speaking of Ira, I am hoping that I will be able... I've been working on this for a while. Um, uh, Shifra is very busy. But uh, Shifra, Estelle Cooper, um, we have been in discussions through social media for for a while about you know her uh, talking to me about her family's legacy and you know how much Ben Cooper means to all of us and you know the Ben Cooper cult, as it were. How much these costumes meant to us as children, how much their family's legacy meant so much to all of us. And I still hope that somehow the book that Ira was working on gets published because I would love to see a lot of the artwork and the uh, craftsmanship that went into making these costumes. Because the, the Coopers were, you know perfectionists they would not put out anything unless they absolutely approved it and and that's one of those things you learn from a business perspective is you know if your name's on something you want to make sure that it's the best it can be because ultimately that's your legacy and for the coopers ben cooper inc still hasn't been around since the 90s basically and here in the 2020 we're still talking about their company and how much it brought joy to us and how much it meant to us. And that's, you know, those are the memories that make doing this so wonderful is uh, you can't beat nostalgia, especially when it's associated with something you love so much. Um, So speaking of that, I want to end on an excerpt from a People magazine article in October uh, on October 29th, 1979. This is about Ben himself, and here it's uh, ritually every Halloween, the green chauffeur-driven Oldsmobile cruises slowly through the back streets of Woodmere, Long Island, looking for small bands of trick-or-treaters. In the back seat, 73-year-old Ben Cooper swivels anxiously, then breaks into a grin when he spots neighborhood children decked out as Darth Vader or the Hulk. 
I don't want mothers to think I'm some kind of nut, points out Cooper, whose interest is indeed above reproach. He happens to be the founder and president of the U.S.'s largest Halloween costume company, Ben Cooper, Inc. That small little uh, excerpt from People Magazine back then, that's four years after I was born. I actually am one of those children that had the Hulk costume. I don't know if you guys saw it. I posted it on Halloween. I I had that Ben Cooper Hulk mask, and just finding that picture made me want to go back and look for my mask or just get another one. I've actually found one online. And at the end of the day, this is why Ben Cooper endured for so long and continues to endure today. The founders of the company genuinely loved what they were doing, and they always wanted to put out the best product they could. And that's a testament to the company itself and to the fact that it's probably one of the reasons why Halloween lovers just are obsessed with Ben Cooper because the quality of the product itself, you know, everything about it just showed love to me. Like it, it's hard to explain, but um, I want to thank Wikipedia, investors.com, bloody disgusting thrillist, History.com, People, Slate.com, and one of our own Halloween Preservation Society members herself, SpookyVegan.com, for their wonderful write-ups on uh, Ben Cooper, Inc. and their legacy. They, they help, these articles help me immensely in um, doing this podcast. And I always love, like I said, research is one of the best things about doing this. I love reading other people's opinions and finding the the con- the contrasts and comparisons and you know the mutual love of the subject. So so what are your favorite memories of Ben Cooper Inc and their costumes? I'd love to hear from you about them. Uh just send us an email to preservehalloween at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook at Preserve Halloween and also on Instagram at Preserve Halloween. I just want to know if if you all uh love Ben Cooper as much as I do. And, you know, share your pictures of your Ben Cooper costumes and, you know, share your memories. I always love hearing about uh, what we talk about on the podcast from from the fans and the, and the listeners. And, you know, it's it's a great thing to share all of this nostalgia with with others. And, you know, I hope you guys are enjoying what we're or what we're talking about, our topics. And like I say, every episode, as always, preserve Halloween. Ben Cooper costumes were everywhere. If you ever wanted to work for a guy, Ben Cooper was the greatest. He was king. He was king of his castle. He was king of his business. Um, He was king of the industry. Licensing was the key to our success. The name Disney was almost as important as the character at times. We would often say, who's the toy company? If it was Hasbro or one of the big players or Mattel you know you were going to have some support. It was the break of Star Wars that gave it the star status.